Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Let's do it. Hey, hey, everyone. I am Raymond, and I am the host of the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast, and this is minicast number nine. And I have my awesome co-host with me today, as usual. Michael Fairweather. Uh, we're going to be talking about some two uh, great stories today. Michael, what are you going to be talking about? Because that's going to be our first story. Can you tell me? Yeah, so um, we are going to be talking about uh, Carbonac. Oh, Carbonac. And Carbonac, they are back in the news. We talked about them um, back in 2005, or not 2005, geez, (laughs) back in 2015 in our episode 17, back in September, they stole a bunch of money, about a hundred or about a billion. Yep. And we will, Uh, we'll, we'll break down that a little bit more. We'll give a little bit more history about that when we hop into that story. Uh, And then our second story that we're going to be covering is a story about an individual who got in trouble for making some keyloggers. Yeah. But we're going to kick off this episode with Mike's story. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit of that backstory that you were getting into a few seconds ago about Carbonac and and why I'm so excited to talk about them again. (laughs) Well, like like we said, um, back in 2015... Um, as, as I said earlier, 2005, which was completely wrong, 2015, uh, they, they stole um, about a billion dollars from about 100 banks. Um, this was worldwide, uh, mainly Russia, Japan, Europe, and the U.S. all kind of fell victim to these guys. They had this um, banking malware that was out there. Basically sent hundreds of, maybe even thousands of malicious emails to hundreds of employees at different banks. You know, the employees would open the email, downloads a malware program called uh, Carbonac, allegedly allowed perpetrators to transfer money from the banks to fake to fake accounts or ATMs monitored by criminals. Very sophisticated. Um, well, they're back in the news. So I really love the Carbonac gang because they played <laughs> the long con. Uh, in, in this, in their first attacks back in 2015, when it's actually they discovered it in 2015, but it turns out that they had been uh, in their in the networks of the d- different banks since about 2013. Yeah. So these guys had sat in the banks and watched all the daily transactions, watched the peak hours, uh, because the banks had a CCTV. And that was over IP. So they were actually able to watch all of the security camera footage live. Uh, kind of crazy, but also really, really cool that they had uh, pulled off this long con. Oh, absolutely. So they would do their transactions during the peak hours so nothing looked suspicious whatsoever. Kudos to them for their time and patience because we've seen many other gangs and groups of individuals pull off these hacks and uh, hit banks for money and then 
they do a quick uh, smashing grab and get out of there. So that's why I'm so excited about the Carbonat gang. Why I think they're so cool is because they played that long con and they just stayed there and watched and monitored and such cool stuff. So why don't you tell us <laughs> what they're doing now? So they're actually using Google now, um, which is just it, – it's mind-blowing what they're doing. Um, they've been found abusing various Google services to issue command and control or C2 communications for monitoring and controlling the machines of unsuspecting malware victims. So Force Point Security Lab <clears throat> researchers said on Tuesday that while investigating an active exploit sent in phishing messages uh, as an RTF attachment, they discovered that Carb- Carbonac Group had been hiding in plain sight using Google services for C2. Their statement was, uh, Carbonac actors continue to look for stealth techniques to evade detection. Forcepoint senior security researcher Nicholas Griffin said in a blog post, using Google as an independent CNC channel is likely to be more successful than using newly created domains or domains with no reputation. Um, basically, they're using the authenticity of Google to hide in plain sight because you know everybody knows what Google is. Most likely, Google is not blocked um, you know, from home and work situations. Uh, so they're using that, that inherent trust um, to actually set up these <clears throat> excuse me um, to set up these C2 services to control these machines. And, and the way they're doing that is with an RTF document um, basically with an embedded OLE object containing a uh, Visual Basic script which was previously associated with their original Carbonac malware and using social engineering to trick victims into clicking an envelope image to unlock the contents. Yeah, it's, it's just, I, it's I saw I saw an image of that and um, and how they had executed that. It's kind of bad on the organizations that train the um, their workers because it's kind of kind of obvious that it's something that shouldn't be shouldn't be clicked on. Because it, there, you get a big uh, warning whenever it, it first pops up saying, hey, do you want to run this Visual Basic script? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that should be something that, that throws up a red flag. You know, uh, organizations should be training for that kind of thing. What do you think, yeah. Mike? Oh, absolutely. Because it's, it's, it's an individual clicking on a picture... And then a dialog box popping up saying, do you want to run this unprotected Visual Basic script? No picture, no legitimate picture should have some kind of VBS script running in the background. It, it, it shouldn't. So if you're like, oh, yeah, definitely, you know, I definitely want to see this picture of Axl Rose. No. No, you do not. Just, just don't do it. That's a reference to Louis C.K., by the way. <laughs> Can you give it a second to go into space? So them using the Google services for command and control, kudos to them again. I mean, it's bad stuff that they're doing, but it's very genius of the way that they're they're doing it. They're using uh, inherent trust in systems and inherent trust in individuals to trick people into, into being able to execute uh, these attacks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, using legitimate, you know, 
third-party services, so the Google Apps, uh, Sheets, Google mm. Forms, all of that stuff, I mean, they're able to hide in plain sight by doing that, um, which is really crazy to think that just how far they've come from the long con of, you know, a billion dollars over 100 banks to now just, again, hiding in plain sight and, and using their malware to continue to infect people and have that command and control stuff going on. Can you break down how this uh, attack occurs by any chance? Is there any inf- information on how that exactly occurs? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, give me a second. Let me pull up that screen. <laughs> yes, I can. Let me get to that. So, actually, you have it up. Um, so, I can I can actually kick off uh, how the, the attack actually occurs. So, there's a request... Uh, the attacker requests a Google Apps script containing unique ID of the infected user. It checks the content for a response containing a unique Google Sheets ID in a Google form. If there is none, it sends account creation request uh, to a predefined Google Forms URL containing system information of the individual, and then it starts the process all over again. However, if it is found, <coughs> the, they then request a Google Sheets ID content and it's unique per victim. So yeah. if they plan on attacking thousands upon thousands of, of people, that's it's going to be a pretty big database. Um, yeah. Then it checks the contents for a response containing a command to execute. And then if a command is found, uh, the execute command it executes the command and sends a response to the Google Forms ID. And then um, sends a CNC check-in heartbeat to Google Forms ID. And that whole process just continues over and over and over again, uh, looking for new uh, command and control uh, commands within those Google documents. I mean, that's just insane. The amount of work and time that has gone into this exploit, or not not even exploit, just, just this whole thing, the amount of time that has to have been put into it. I applaud them on that. I, I think what they're doing is wrong, obviously, but definitely... The the way they're going about doing it is genius. Well, of course, you can always think, um, you know, something is genius, and you can think, man, that's awesome the way they did that. But, you know, it, it's wrong, but we as cybersecurity professionals can still nerd out about it. Definitely nerding, nerding out about this. I, I read the, you know, I read this article a little bit ago and, and immediately saw the name was like, I know we've talked about them. And so went back into our show notes from uh, basically did a search through our show notes and found that, you know, at, we absolutely had talked about them. You were like, hey, those are the people that Ray kept mispronouncing their name. <laughs> I'm still we're, I'm sure we're still mispronouncing it. Let's I, th- be I think we're a little was... closer now to the name's correct pronunciation. <laughs> it was like Car Banak. I was like. Carabanka, Carabinka, Carbanka. <laughs> Just couldn't get it, but I finally figured out it was Carbonac. Carbonac. It was Carabanka, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. So, so they also go by the name of uh, Anun- Anunak. <laughs> Why do hacker organizations have to have sometimes crazy names? So we're going to mispronounce this one for two years is basically what you're saying. We're not going to call him Anunak, though. We're going to call him Carbanka. Uh, Carbanka. Or Carbonac, sorry. <laughs> See? Already messed it up. <laughs> oh, 
man. So this attack is really dangerous because a lot of organizations allow uh, the Google services by default in their organizations because Google Documents is really easy to use. Google Calendar is really easy to use. Everybody uses Gmail basically except for the people that have Apple devices and then they're all using that Apple iMessage or AirPod Mail or whatever it is. Hey, some of us who use Apple actually use Gmail, thank you. So I saw somebody wearing a pair of AirPods, getting a little bit on a tangent here. I saw somebody wearing a pair of Air, AirPods, EarPods, whatever they are. AirPods, yeah. The other day, they look stupid. Oh, I agree. They are this generation's Bluetooth headset. I have an iPhone. Guess what it has? Headphone jack. You know, I heard if you drill into the bottom of your iPhone, it unlocks an Air... Uh, and Earphone jack. It's the secret hidden one that nobody knows about. Okay, but seriously, anybody watching, don't do that. Anybody listening, don't do that. It was a joke. Put down the drill. Just like you can charge your your iPhone in the microwave. (laughs) Absolutely not true. Don't do that. (laughs) We're going to get sued by somebody now. No, because we said it was a joke. So what do you think uh, organizations should do, Mike, about, about the... Carbonac situation here with this uh, VBS script. So honestly, I mean, the really the biggest thing they can do. So most companies, I feel like there's a legitimate need to use. <clears throat> so there's that inherent trust that's always going to have to be there. Uh, so the biggest thing you can do is train your employees um, not to click on stuff. I mean, that's really it. We we talk about this a lot. Email attachments. Or any kind of stuff. If you if you click on something, and it gives an unexpected response, such as you click on a photo and it pops up with a VBS script and saying, "Do you want to continue?" Don't continue. Look, if you click on any photo and it says, "Do you want to continue?" Don't continue. It doesn't yeah. matter what it pops up with. If you see a box that just says, "Would you like to open this?" No, no, you would not. No, because you're not opening something that's going to be good for you or your company. In the long run, you can be that single point of failure for an, for you know a company, or even your home network. That can be a single point of failure. So don't don't do that. Yeah, I mean that's honestly the biggest thing I can say is is teach your people to be aware of what they're doing. Teach them at least some some sort of cybersecurity um, or cyber awareness um, stuff. I'm also surprised that a lot of organizations don't have things like firewall rules built in to disallow th- things like VBE scripts or VBS scripts. You know, those like really awkward things that people shouldn't be downloading. Yeah. Um, like I can understand an EXE being downloaded. Because if you're in something like Digital Arts Studio and you need some new tool to perform editing with, or if you're a cybersecurity professional and you need some software, mal- anti-malware software or something like that, you right. know, those are executables. Executables I can understand, right? I, I can understand, but for <clears throat> a bank, absolutely not. Yeah. To me, a bank has the software that it needs already running on that computer. You don't need anything else. Solitaire.exe. <laughs> it must get really boring there. Come on, let's be honest. You know, there's never any customers at the bank. There's only so many dollar bills you can count. <laughs> but yeah, 
firewall rules should be really should really should be set up for these organizations to disallow in the case of a bank's executables uh, but also things like VBE, VBS, any any kind of scripts whatsoever. Just block it all. Yeah. So even if you people do click on the link, it'll get stopped and black hole at the at the firewall at the perimeter. No, absolutely. And, and the good news is that Force Point, um, you know, the, the researchers that we talked about, um, they have talked to Google about the issue, um, and they are working with them to kind of try and figure out this abuse and try and figure out what legitimate web services actually look like. So hopefully, you know, hopefully Google will um, be able to fix this on their own and it won't be something people have to worry about. But still, you need to train your people. You Make think, sure they know what they're doing. You would think Google would have some sort of system set up to be able to like learn what is anomalous and what isn't anomalous. And I would think that a C2 system would be something that Google would be able to identify pretty quickly. I mean, possibly, but you got to think about it too. It's, I mean, it's Google apps, forms and sheets services being used there. It's, I think that might come down to a privacy issue. Honestly, is if you're, if what you're doing with those services you know, it's kind of hard to distinguish between like a personal service and a C. I, I would think a C two um, in that aspect because it's individual. Now, if it was one account going out to, you know, thousands or millions, yes, I well, completely understand. Well, it kind that. of is going out to thousands and millions, thousands and million, thousands of different IP addresses. Right, but it's individual services being set up per um, per user and kind of IDs. So I feel like it's. Oh, uh, that's does it set up an individual Google account for each each person? I don't know if it was Google account, but it was definitely an, it was an individual. Um, I thought it was an individual file, an individual Google sheet gets created. Yeah. Hmm. So to me, it sounds like it's calling back to one, like Google Drive, essentially, and that one Google Drive had all the all the documentation in it. That's what it kind of sounded like to me. Yeah, you know what? It does kind of sound like that now that I'm rereading it. Uh, I had something different in my mind of it, it kind of setting up different. So, um, so because it's calling back to that one Google ID, and then responses are going out to many, you would think that the Google algorithm would be able to pick that up as a C2 control. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that now. I'd be interested to see more see more about this um, and learn more about this. This just came out on Thursday, so giving the weekend and, and possibly next week to get a, kind of get a little bit more information about it um, to actually see um, exactly how that's working out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this unfolds because, again, Carbonac are, are one of my favorite hacker groups because of how genius they are with their stuff. Oh, and uh, apparently we have an individual in the chat room, Active Measures, who says he works at a financial institution that has been dealing with Carbonac. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Active Measures, if you're interested, I would love, we would love to chat with you uh, about that sometime. Of course, uh, we, we would keep everything on the, the down low uh, about your identity and everything. But, yeah, we would really love to ask a few questions about how the cleanup procedure is going from that, uh, and, and what kind of steps you took to protect yourself further. 
Yeah, and and possibly what kind of training you all went through. Oh, that would be fantastic um, yeah. as well to learn from you. I've only heard things in passing. Okay, right on. Yeah, sorry, we're reading the thing. He, he, uh, he or she responded. Knew at the institution have only only heard things in passing. So, but definitely, definitely would be interested in that and in getting more information from that. All right, so we're going to move on to our next story here, and we're going to talk about a student that faces some some jail time uh, due to some actions that he took. There is an individual uh, who developed some keyloggers. Uh, the individual in question is a 21-year-old former Langley High School student, and uh, his name is Zachary Shames. It's kind of inter- funny that his last name is, is Shame. Uh, <laughs> and now he's on For trial. Shame. But he created a keylogger called the Limitless Keylogger, and actually back in 2014, the Limitless Keylogger was optimized with the Auto IT. It was optimized with Auto IT, and it ended up infecting thousands of computers. Back in 2014, this was a, a pretty big thing that had occurred. He has to say this little. $35 thing that he created which he was selling for $35 online and he was actually also selling it for $35 out of his dorm room he would customize it and uh, he has he is now facing a maximum penalty of up to 10 years in prison for this yeah so he was working as a technical intern at Northrop Grunham Grumman, sorry. Northrop Grumman? Yes, Northrop Grumman. When he was uh, actually arrested, he did plead guilty for it. And the what the keylogger would do was it would infect individuals' computers and it would uh, look for banking credentials. Um, and then as it evolved, it started doing things looking for Things like different login credentials online, uh, Bitcoin wallets, account names and passwords from browsers such as Safari, Firefox, Opera, Google Chrome, Internet Explorer, look for Spotify information. So he did sell this to more than 3,000 people who in turn infected over 16,000 victims. Which, what do you, I'll be honest, which is not a lot. But what do you think about this? So he created... A keylogger malware, right? Yeah. It infected a whole bunch of people. They're saying that he had customized some of the the keylogger malware. Isn't this kind of in the same realm of like the the Cali distros? Like, I, I wanted, I I need to know more about this court case. I I need more in these documents. I need to read the documents to really pick out why he's actually getting in trouble. I know creating malware is bad. But right. but why are are some people allowed to create di- distros of operating systems that are meant for pen testing? And why couldn't he have just said, "Oh, well, this is I created it for pen testing too." I think it depends on the lawyer. Um so I, I thought about this actually when when we were when we were discussing the article we were going to be talking about today one of our sponsors on the show is cyberary.it woot woot shout out yeah. to cyberary it they yeah, gave we they were... gave us money to uh keep this going they have and and they have awesome 
um, online free um, cybersecurity training. Just a moment. Uh, to answer your question, Teddy's Schwager, um, I, I do not know if he uh, included any kind of disclaimers whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. So with that, so Cyberry, actually, when they were originally out on, I believe is the Google Play Store. Is it Google Play? Or it was, it was Google Play. Yeah, so when Google Play came out, they had a link, they had an app, and they had their a link to the online training. So you could watch videos, you could look at stuff. The problem was, as, as it got removed at one point, and it was removed because it was teaching people how to hack, how to do nefarious stuff. But that's the thing. As a cybersecurity person, you need to understand how, you know, how somebody who's going to use it for evil, you, you need to understand how they how that works. So as an instruction tool, they had stuff out there that Google thought of as being very bad. Um, so I think it's all a matter of how you actually look at it and how you um, present it. If you're presenting it as a training tool or a learning device to kind of figure out how, how things work and how you can protect yourself from that, awesome. And I think that's what Cali does as well. Um, so the guys over at Offensive Security with the with the you know Cali OS, that's what they're doing. They're using they're helping you know the white hat hackers um, to be able to learn the tri- you know tricks of the trade and to better themselves. Obviously, anything that you create can also be used, you know turned around and used for for evil, and that's an unfortunate side effect of it. But I think that's his problem. I, you know, I don't know what Shames' original goal was for this. Was it to go out and teach people about keylogging? I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, probably not. Yeah, I think it was definitely, uh, you know, a, a way, a quick way of making money while he was in college. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really what it seems like, um, you know, from the news and the article that that we're we're talking about here. But the, you know that's what we're talking about. So it, going back to that, it, I think it really falls down to what you, what your goal and what your intention are. The fact that sixteen thousand people became victims um, because of his, you know, because he sold his software. Uh, yeah, there's it's kind of a, that's an iffy subject. It's a, it's a it's not clear cut by any means. It's not. So I think the takeaway for that story is if you're going to develop any kind of tools, um, any kind of training training material, you know, lessons on how to hack stuff and how to break into something, make sure that you have it well defined as to what you intend on like what its in, intended audience and target is and what yeah. it's intended to be used for. Even if that's not actually what you want to do, if you're a malware writer out there and you just want to say, hey, we're doing this for pen testing to cover your butt. (laughs) (laughs) Or even if you are a legitimate individual who's creating it for pen testing, you know, make sure you establish that in the beginning. Yeah. Right up front that this is for penetration testing or this is for training. Because if you do not establish that, you're going to have the hammer come down on you when somebody doesn't like what you're doing. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, he could have turned around and, you know, tried to get it incorporated into Cali, worked with Northrop Grumman and said, hey, this is some stuff that I've got. Um, how can we legitimi- legitimize this? I mean, there's different ways of doing that. But if you're starting off and you're selling it, you know, you're probably not, uh, in this case, um, it's probably not very <laughs> legitimate by any means. Yeah. So, again, takeaway for this, cover your butts. Yeah. Put a disclaimer up front. Let people know your intentions for what you make. Yeah. Don't let other people interpret what your intentions are. Uh, don't let other people tell others what your intentions are. you got to be up front um, with everybody and let everybody know what your plan is. Hey, Mike. Did you hear about, fruit? Did you hear about fruit Fly? Fruit Fly? You mean the things that annoy me in, uh, during the summer? No, no. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the Mac OS malware. I have not looked at that yet, no. So an InfoSec firm that goes by the name of malware bites i don't know if you've ever heard of them before they're like they're they're these guys um who do some things said infosec yeah they're an infosec firm that go by the infosec name yeah yeah they go by the name of malware bites so it's funny i i sort of <laughs> i'm messing with you but when i when i uh, immediately google fruitfly orkin.com comes up trying to get rid of fruit flies so oh, that's funny give me a second here malware bites so I'll, I'll break it down here real quick for you it was some really old antiquated code and like i said before malware bites had discovered it it was detected as osx.backdoor.quimitchin uh, and after one of its it administrators spotted some unusual outgoing activity from one of their Mac computers. According to the researchers, they're calling it the first Mac malware of 2017. And it uh, contains code that dates before OS X, which has reportedly been conducting uh, detailed surveillance operations on targeted networks, possibly for over two years. The malware has, not OS X. Yeah, OSX has been out for a long time. Yeah, so Fruitfly actually uses a uh, hidden Perl script to communicate back to a uh, back to two uh, command and control servers, and has the ability to perform actions like capturing webcam and screenshots from both Mac and Linux systems. So yeah, not only is this a, a Mac malware, but this also can affect can also affect Linux systems and. Active Measures is apparently telling us that Apple has supposedly already rolled out updates to fight off Fruitfly. So kudos uh, to Apple for rolling out those updates if they have. Yeah, I would also <clears throat> recommend on top of that, as someone who uses Mac quite often, going ahead and blocking those IP addresses. So it's actually kind of interesting because the malware uses a secondary script and a Java class to hide its icon from showing up in the macOS dock. So it's there, and you don't know it's there. Um, they don't know how it got, inf- how it actually got uh, distributed, and how it infected the machines. But it's actually kind of interesting because the malware uses code that predates uh, Apple OS X operating systems. Uh, including the SGG uh, SG Git channel device list, the SG set channel device, and the SG 
uh, set channel device input and the SG start record. Uh, researchers said the malware is even running open source libjpeg malware, uh, sorry, not malware, code, uh, to open or create JPEG formatted images, which dates back to 1998. They haven't updated libjpeg since 98? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I find that more surprising than the fact that there's, you know, malware for Mac. So I think it's interesting that it's not only malware for Mac, but also uh, malware for other Linux operating systems as well. They have identified uh, code, which includes Linux shell commands that show signs of malware potentially running on um, Linux operating systems. So that's why they say it may be uh, Linux operating systems as well. Wow. Uh, and they say that that the some of the connections for the command and control servers date back to at least 2013. So they've been running strong. Wait, this was in a Carbonac, was it? No, it was not. Okay, just checking. So if you if you do run in a, a Mac device, um, an Apple device, sorry, and, and you have uh, Mac OS, you know, check that you are actually updating your systems. You know, make sure you don't have your updates turned off for for some reason. Yeah, don't do that. Don't turn off updates. I know it may be inconvenient to have your system updated and and secure, but you know, you should really keep those updates on. But everything looks just fine the way it is, so I'm not going to mess with it. I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> I have I, I'm kidding. Please don't do that. All right, Mike, do you have any final thoughts for anything that we've talked about today? Uh yeah, train your people. Hold on, my neighbor's honking their horn. You should take your keys and honk back at them. No, because the car's in the garage, so it's just going to reverberate in here. And annoy, oh. annoy your wife. Oh, no, that's the last thing I want to do. I know better than that. Um, no, so definitely definitely train your people. Don't click on... Don't just randomly click on stuff. And if you you click on anything and it pops up with more information such as, are you sure you want to run? Fill in the blank. The answer is no. The answer should always be no. It should be. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing I've got. So I would say as well, train your people. Uh, but I would also say update your systems. And... You know, if you are a an avid coder out there trying to get into um, programming some penetration testing tools, uh, CYA, aka cover your ass, and be upfront as to what your tools are supposed to be for. So, pen testing, education, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, because you don't want other people interpreting what you're doing. You don't want to go to jail for up to 10 years. Exactly. Excuse me. So, again, what we talked about today was the Carbonac gang coming back and using the Google C2, uh, using Google services uh, for C2. Individuals getting in trouble uh, for developing a a keylogger. And then uh, we talked about, briefly, about the Mac OS malware that's been spying on... uh, couple of different people that was called fruit fly that thanks to um one of our guests that are in the chat room here 
uh, pointed out that there is a update for it. So thank you, Active Measures. You are the the uh, guest of the show today for your input. <laughs> MVP. MVP goes to Active Measures. Kudos. All right, guys. I was your host today, Raymond Evans, and he was <laughs> Michael Fairweather. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. And have a week. Have a week. Cybersecurity training has traditionally been really expensive and therefore too hard to come by for many people. The result of super high price training is a skill gap that has left the industry with over 1 million unfilled jobs, which is crazy. But CyberAria is working to change that. The cybersecurity training revolution has begun. Get free training courses and find jobs in the field at CyberAria.it. Employers looking for cybersecurity talent can also post jobs there. So again, free cybersecurity training and jobs at CyberAria.